Listener supported. WNYC Studios. You're listening to all of it on WNYC. I'm Matt Katz, and I'm sitting in for Allison Stewart today. We continue now with our annual series, The Big Picture, where we speak with some of the Oscar-nominated creatives who worked behind the scenes to make movie magic in 2023. Our next guest had to juggle a lot while working as the cinematographer for Maestro. Matthew Labatique was working with director Bradley Cooper, who also had to dedicate a lot of his time to his performance as famed conductor Leonard Bernstein. Matthew also had to work both in black and white and color, and in two different aspect ratios. Plus, he had to capture the magic of conducting. His work on Maestro, which focuses on Bernstein's relationship with his wife Felicia, earned him an Oscar nomination for Best Cinematography, and he joins me now to discuss. Matthew Labatique, welcome to all of it. Hey, thank you. Nice to meet you, Matt. Nice to meet you, and, and congratulations on the nomination. Um, very exciting. I want to get into the movie, obviously. We're going to talk about the film, but I feel like I need to start here. For those of us who aren't necessarily familiar with the ins and outs of movie making and think we might know what cinematography is, can you just give me a basic rundown on what a cinematographer on a set actually does and how you would describe your, your role in making movies? Well, I mean, um, I think the camera uh, that everybody is familiar with is kind of a shared object between the director and the cinematographer. Uh, sometimes the cinematographer is responsible for the compositions of every shot. But uh, generally speaking, the cinematographer is responsible for the look of the film, and that encompasses lighting and uh, camera and optics and all things technical, but a lot of creative choices to go and try to articulate a director's vision. Hmm. So you're basically, the old term for a cinematographer was the cameraman. Huh. But, you know, a lot of it has to do with the light as much as the camera. I imagine you're not physically operating your, uh, a camera. You are moving around and looking at how the shot looks on a screen and um, giving some sort of direction in terms of like angles and all the rest of the, the technical aspects that go along with it. I mean, generally speaking, it's uh, it, when you're a cinematographer, you you can op- depending on the film. It depends yeah. on the film. Sometimes something is much smaller where you're operating. Um, for example, on the whale, I operated the film, and on uh, Maestro, I didn't. You know, I had operators. So um, typically, the film and the sort of style of the film and the size of the film dictates whether or not you're on the camera. But uh, you know, you still you're still connected to it. Sure. Um, by the lens choices and how you use the aperture on those lenses to create the looks that you want. Do you remember anything from your first ever cinematography job that maybe you've taken with you uh, through the years? Is there anything you learned from one early project that uh, you continue to think about and maybe incorporate in your work? I once um, was shooting a music video and I was shooting at the end of the day and we were out of light. And um, I thought we didn't really have enough light to expose the film. But when we got the dailies back, it was absolutely gorgeous. It was the best looking stuff of the whole whole uh, project. And I I realized that, um, you know, you, there is a way to make the film see what the human eye sees. Hmm. And that's sort of been a guiding principle. Say that one more time. You, you can make the film see what the human eye sees. I realized that, you know, we were shooting at dusk yeah. with the woman walking down some train tracks. I didn't really think I had enough light, but we kept shooting anyway. Right. And it ended up becoming the most beautiful image 
in the entire piece. And I realized that there is a way to make film see what the human eye sees. Wow. Wow. You you worked with uh, Bradley Cooper before in, in uh, A Star is Born. Was there something different about uh, working and collaborating with him on this project? I mean, he it seemed like there was a lot more involved in really transforming into a, a real-life Leonard Bernstein. Was there something about this collaboration that was uh, deeper or different from A Star is Born? I mean, it was, it was deeper just because it was our second film together. And, mm. You know, we had sort of a shorthand going in, but there was uh, an intensity to it that was um, amplified because, you know, he really had to undergo physical transformation. Yeah. And that was, you know, played a part in his energy. It played a part. In, it also motivated him. He was very, he was extremely, I wouldn't say intense, but he was extremely focused. And, um, uh, but he was at of a creative high level, such a creative high level that, you know, everybody on set had to kind of bring it, you know, you just sort of match the energy of the director. And I would say Bradley was, a, you know, on a scale of one to 10 was like a 12. <laughs> right. Right. I mean, it, this was really one of those films where you forget you're watching an A-list actor. You feel like you're watching the, the real person that he has, he, he has basically become. It's really remarkable. Really remarkable. Yeah, I agree with you there. I agree with you there. What what strikes the the layperson about this this film in terms of how it was shot is that the, the first half of this film is in in black and white, and then then you go to color. What what was the thought process behind that, and what kind of challenges might that have presented? I think you know we we uh, Bradley and I tested a lot um, uh, preceding our actual shooting of the film. You know, we did some tests of different formats, digital, uh, different digital cameras, film stocks. Mm. And we, when we landed on black and white film, it just something spoke to us about it, and especially spoke to him. You know, it, 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 he's told me it's transported him. You know, when we shot it, transported him into the time. And uh, the reason that it goes from black and white to, to color is that it sort of exhibits a time where the world went from black and white to color. Right. So... Um, that's sort of the motivation behind the choices, but really the black and white was, it's, um, it was just transformative in terms of space and time for us. And, and really put us in, in the, in the place where Felicia and Lenny meet for the first time. Right. Right. Is it, what, what is, can you give us a little bit of the, the technical challenges involved with shooting black and white in a, in a way we might understand <laughs> well, how that works? Well, yeah. I mean, well, you know, uh, I'll start here. If you shoot with your iPhone, you you don't really need a lot of light. Yeah. Even at night, it'll shoot it'll, it, the sensitivity. So, imagine having none of that sensitivity, <laughs> and you're you're starting with something that you actually have to bring a lot of light into to get an image. So, you know, because we've shooting because we've been shooting digital for the you know past whatever 15, 20 years, um, we've been accustomed to less light levels, softer light, things that don't even get hot. And then now when we're shooting, you know, if we're shooting film, all of a sudden we're bringing out the big lights that we don't use anymore. And we're, we're having to bring the light level up so high that the set gets hot and, uh, you know, people start to sweat and makeup, uh, you know, it go, we go back to makeup having to powder people down. Right. You know, it, we, we go back to, we go back in time a bit and we're, and people are wearing gloves again on set, hot lamps around. Wow. Um, so it's, and you know, there's, a, there's also a, a quality of light that changes because you know films look the way they look uh back in time because the lighting uh that was necess necessary to expose the 
film dictated what the films look like. And now we could do it on a digital camera. And again, you could walk into a mall and not need any light. You could walk into a restaurant and not need any light. Right. But when you're shooting on film, it becomes a different story and you're bringing things in and you're creating a reality through an artifice of movie lighting. Yeah, right. It, I mean, the, the other technical uh, unique element of this, from what I understand, is that you shot in different aspect ratios. Can you explain yes. what, that, what that means and how that works? The aspect ratio speaks to the, so- the shape of the frame. Uh, the composition, you know, what you see in widescreen is called um, two four zero uh, or two three five. That's a that's a it's a mathematical aspect ratio that relates to the horizontal and the vertical. Um, some films are one eight five, so that's actually not as wide but taller. What we shot was one three three, which is the original Academy aperture. It was the original Academy aspect ratio before films went widescreen. So we it's a, basically a square. For the mm-hmm. longest time before HD, you know, TVs were 133 because that was the industry standard. Um, so we framed that way, again, just to, to sort of transport us in the, into a time where that, that's how people saw the world. And then as, you know, what I love about that, it sort of metaphorically felt like kind of an embrace of these two people within their sort of uh their sort of inner sphere like these it was almost like hugging these two people in their marriage right and when she dies towards the end of the film the film expands to a 185 frame which is wider and there's more negative space showing that lenny is alone right oh it's so interesting another that's that's an amazing scene another scene i wanted to ask you about that's been getting a lot of attention is a sequence at the ely cathedral where leonard is conducting and just seems totally enraptured in the moment it this it the shot begins from way up high and then it it comes down why did you start with a overhead view and and what were you trying to achieve just in general in that whole scene i just there is serving two masters i mean actually serving one it's sort of showing like his we don't show him conducting that much in the film. Yeah. Right? Right. You see him at the very beginning, but you don't see a whole piece. And this is really the one time you see the entire piece. So it was about, you know, you're talking about a culmination of this man's working life. It's not even a culmination. He was right in the middle. It was his prime. And you, you're, you're showing the, uh, the sheer scale of this cathedral um, and the depth of it and the amount of people and the size of the orchestra. But at the end of the day, the camera moves in. So you can sort of see this, uh, like you say, um, his intensity. You know, I think that the the challenge in that scene really was that, um, you know, Bradley had transformed each and every day to Leonard Bernstein, but to conduct like Leonard Bernstein was the search. That was the, and he found it. He really found it. He, I think that what Pete, what resonates is that he really, he re- I think he's really felt like you're watching Leonard Bernstein. When you look at old YouTube clips of the man, his passion and his joy, I feel like you feel that in his performance in that particular scene. Is you feel that passion, you feel that joy. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that's what the strength of it is. Whatever I did was just capture this beautiful thing that was happening in front of us. Right. Wow. It must have been quite the experience to be on, on set and feel like you were maybe watching Leonard conduct in, in real time. Uh, I mean, well, that's how I thought. Well, the, the most amazing thing is the London Philharmonic was there, and uh, the London Symphony Orchestra was there, and they, they they applauded him after that take. I mean, these are people. Some of these people worked with Leonard Bernstein. Wow. It's like wow. you know, they studied him. They 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 played his music, and 
you know, you basically one of the best orchestras in the entire world. And they're just applauding their performance. So it was like, uh, it gave me chills. Matthew, as I mentioned, you have been nominated for an Oscar for Best Cinematography. Uh, are you nervous? Are you looking forward to Oscars night? Like, where, where, where's your head at? I, uh, yeah, exciting. I told myself I'm just going to have fun with this award season, you know. Um, so, no, I'm not nervous at, at all. I'm just, uh, I'm excited to be there. I think it's an amazing um, class of cinematographers and films that have been nominated for my category. And also for best picture category, I think it's a is an amazing year for cinema beyond Barbenheimer. I think it's been an amazing year. For cinema. <laughs> right, right, yeah. C- cinema is is not dead, far from dead, right? I yeah, one hundred percent. It's it's you know what it feels like. It feels like there's a lot of people of like mind all working really hard to make sure cinema lives. We're going to leave it there. Perfect way to leave it. Matthew Labatique is nominated for Best Cinematography for his work on Maestro. The uh, Oscars are coming up next month. We wish you the best of luck, and thanks for joining us on all of it. Nice to meet you. Thank you for having me.